welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, February 6th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We'll have the team here from Pittsburgh Power. I see Bruce is here. I think we're waiting on Pete and Leroy. I'm sure they'll be here in a minute. We're just going to jump right in and get to it today. Phone lines are open. It is a Power Hour free-for-all. Anything maintenance. If you've got a question, a comment, a topic about maintenance, jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. Bruce, good morning. That is much better. Okay, that was weird. All right, I might as well just do the update about what's going on with our technology now. I had planned on doing it sometime today. Might as well do it now since we're dealing with it. Uh, Our internet should be rock solid now. We should never, ever have an internet drop again. I have the most secure internet connection you could imagine with um, three backups. So all of our issues around the internet should be fixed. Yesterday, I worked with Rich, our um, lead programmer, and he showed me our new system. I honestly think I could probably do a show with it right now. I I think they've got it far enough that I could do a show. They had a couple little bugs they're going to try to work out this week. Um, We may do a test later this week on Thursday and Friday. What I may do is come in and start a show like this, and then maybe after an hour or so, let everybody know we're going to run a test on our own software and try that. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. They actually actually came through with a couple things I didn't think were going to be finished by now. As a matter of fact... Next week or whenever we do get to start using that software, it eliminates all other software that we have to use by anybody else. So right now we use three different software platforms to make this work. We have one that records and mixes. We have one that streams the show out to the listeners on our app so you can hear us live while we're doing it. Not like a podcast that's an uploaded file. It's you're listening to us while we're doing it live. And then we have to have a software platform for our phones to get us all connected. Uh, our software will replace all three of those. And I would be able to do my show with nothing but my laptop from virtually anywhere in the world. So pretty excited about that. Um, we'll keep working out some bugs and we may run a test on that later this week or early next week. And hopefully we, uh, we eliminate a lot of these goofy little annoying issues we keep having. Um, Bruce, what's on your mind this morning? Well, we still keep getting phone calls from owner-operators that had their truck deleted. And the, either the mechanic or the person programming the ECM is not doing a really good job. This particular fellow yesterday in California bought an ex-company 389 Pete with a 485 ISX. Uh, he took out 340, I think 342 gears and put in 321s, which was a mistake. Boy, it sure was. Uh, he, he, he's not listening to the show, not reading the articles. Uh, but his fuel mileage is horrible. And he drives 62 mile per hour, 1300. But his turbo boost is 21 pounds on the level. Oh, I had him go down to ninth gear. It's a 10 speed. I said, before you did the rears, you should have put a 13 in it. But okay. So now we have to live with the 321s because he called me. He said, what gear can I put in this to make this truck pull? 
it's not the gear. It's not the we gear. we got to give it some power, and we got to see what's wrong with the ECM. But now the fact that you had it deleted, we can't do this. <clears throat> and I had them go into ninth gear, 52 mile per hour, 1,430 RPM. At 52 mile per hour on the level, his boost is 18. And, and it should be zero to two. And we also have to remember that he is now in a gear that is a torque multiplier. That this is when everything should get easier. And to still be mm-hmm. using that kind of boost is insane. Right. So he wants us to program the ECM. We can't do that because when we go in, our number stays there. And it shows us being the last person right. to work on a deleted truck. Right. Now that subjects us to a million-dollar fine, and one of us, whether it's me or Leroy or Jr., can go to the big house for four years. I'm, I'm sorry, four months. Yeah. Well, I don't want any of my employees or myself to go to prison for four months. No. And so we just can't do it. The right approach to this truck would have been to have enough money set aside. The money he spent on the rears, he could have done the 13-speed. The truck should have been taken, being it's an ex-company truck, means it never ran the max mileage catalyst and never had the emissions claimed, probably. It should have went to and had the diesel force cleaning done and then to a DPF alternatives and had the... DPF cleaned and then put on the diet at the catalyst and let us tune it because it's only a 485 and let's tune it to get the proper horsepower and torque and bring it in and then we can adjust the variable geometry turbo so that the thing runs free. So I'm talking to him. He's 65 years old. So he's made some mistakes and you can't afford to make mistakes when you're 65 years old. You know, if you're over 45, you've got to be careful and not be making mistakes because the reco- there's no recovery time, right? Yep. Especially if you're in your 50s and 60s. I guess I said, I'll bet you're getting 4.5 mile per gallon. He said, that's exactly what I'm getting. Yeah. How did you know that? I said, because I talked to so many people that on the level, they're running in 21, 22 pound of boost. I was assuming they put the 12.7 Detroit Turbo on this thing because that'll do the same thing. Putting a 12.7 Detroit Turbo on an ISX after you delete it, it'll put you up into the 20s on the boost on the level and just rob you of fuel mileage because the turbo is too small. Too restrictive. In this case, right, it's restrictive. In this case, it's not that the turbo's too small. It's just that the variable geometry turbo is not adjusted properly. So, now, fortunately, his DPF is on there, and it just has a hole board through it, and likewise in his SCR. So those can be repaired. And I said, try to get any parts that your shop took off. Try to get them used. And then let's get them back on there, and then make your truck legal. And then make it right, and let's set it up to 600 horsepower and 2,000 or 2,200 foot-pound of torque. And now you're going to have a truck where you're just going to breeze on down the highway, very hardly touching the throttle, and maybe using four-pound of boost at 62 miles an hour. And his fuel mileage will be in the high sevens, low eights. Yeah. This is such a great example. Not a good example, but um, an example of... 
when you are in business, your decisions matter. They matter a lot. And I swear I run into all these people who are in business, owner operators who are screaming, the rates aren't high enough, the brokers are ripping me off, I can't make any money. And yet they won't look at the decisions they've made and how it affects their business. And they can't see how it affects their business because they don't have an accounting system. So, so they just don't know, so they want to blame it on everybody else. But if we take this story, if I were to go through this, first he bought the wrong truck. I mean, it, I, I can't see any reason why I would buy this particular truck. I, I, I don't care what the price was. It had some issues, and there are much better spec trucks on the road. Then we delete it. I have no idea what he paid for that, but I bet it was quite a bit. Now we put a set of gears in that cost a bunch, and they're the wrong gears. Why would you make that? That, that minor of a change is a problem. I mean, we weren't in the ballpark before, and he didn't really make a good change. That money's all wasted. Now he's going to have to waste more money to try to fix this problem. These are the kind of mistakes that can put somebody out of business in a market like we're in right now. This is a tough economy. Everything's expensive. We don't have the kind of freight rates and volume we had last year. And these kind of mistakes with bad timing can put you out of business. And if he goes out of business at 65 years old, his finances are going to be a wreck. That's right. You know, this idea of, and I don't know what this guy's history is. I don't know if he's been an owner-operator for 20 years before this. But if he was, he hasn't learned much. And this idea of, well, I'll just go into business and if it doesn't work out, well, no big deal. I tried. Well, it is a big deal. You could end up tens of thousand dollars in debt. He could end up owing the IRS a bunch of money out of this. There's several ways that can happen. And at 65, what do you do to recover from this? John? So whenever these calls come in, you know, you think, oh, my, why did you not call us months ago or a couple of years ago? Right. Why aren't you listening to this podcast? Why aren't you on our website and reading different things? Why aren't you reading the articles that we write every month in 10-4 and moving out? We're only in two magazines now, so. You know, you know, years ago when I met you, I was in eight magazines. It was a nightmare trying to write all that. <laughs> I, I was in that same boat. Um, I was writing for multiple magazines, and I don't like writing. I, I would much rather talk than write, and um, I did it because I had to. I mean, I needed to get marketing, and I needed to get out there. And But, boy, once I was able to stop writing, I, I really don't write at all anymore. Um, it's just, it takes way too much time for me. It's frustrating. I don't like doing it, but I did a lot of writing over the years. Um, like I said, because I had to, I didn't have money to go buy a bunch of ads. So this was the way to just put in the hard work and get the same kind of exposure. Bruce, you know, I, I talk all the time about how important it is in this business to have a good shop that you have a good relationship with. And that, that's mostly just because you need that for breakdowns and, and those kind of things. But you guys provide even more value than that to people who will take the time to come to you and build the relationship. This guy could have, first he could have come to you and asked you advice about buying the truck. He could have called here. He could have come to your shop. You, you help people with that all the time. And once he has the truck, instead of making all these poor decisions based on, I don't know what he was thinking, 
None of this makes any real sense if you know what you're doing. Instead of doing that, if he would have brought the truck right to you and said, look, here's the truck I have. What do I need to do? What do I need to do to get better fuel mileage, lower my maintenance costs, make this an enjoyable truck to drive? And had he done that, all of this money that he wasted, I bet it wouldn't have cost him half that much for you guys to show him how to optimize this truck. That's right. That's exactly right. You just don't jump in to, and make gear changes without knowing what you're doing. And he didn't understand running indirect when I was talking to him about 253s or 247s. The only thing you'd think about, wow, I'll really lose my power. Right. You're going to gain power. It, it turns out it's the opposite. If you really dig down into it, when we build these trucks that we were building them, they have more pulling power, not less. Still working with corporate Peterbilt on two trucks. Uh, they still want to put 253s in and let the guy run in overdrive, and he's in Vermont. And I'm going to be emailing them and saying, you know, when you're in anywhere from the PA Ohio line to Maine, it's not level. No, it's not. So they talk about cruisability, and they still want you to cruise and double over. And, and that just doesn't work so well. But I'm trying to get it through their head that that doesn't work. And I'm still working on that. So wish I got paid to work on stuff like that. Hey, um, oh, no, they're there. Okay, everybody's here. Um, I thought I lost Pete and Leroy, but they're here. Bruce, what else you got? Oh. That's all I have. I'll go back through my notes, and after Pete and Leroy talk, if I find something else, I will uh, I'll let you know. All right. I do have to let everybody know um, we have a short show today. I've got to wrap this up at 9.45 my time. So that's like an hour and a half. We've got, um, I've got an appointment I've got to be ready for at 10. So I've got to wrap it up early today. Uh, Pete, Leroy, good morning, guys. Good morning, Kevin. How are you today? Good. In fact, I should take a minute right now to tell my call screener, Brittany, if you could set a reminder or an alarm so that I shut this down at 945, that would be awesome. Um, Pete, good morning. What's on your mind? Where's Leroy? Is he sleeping? Not yet. He, he looks a little droopy-eyed, but I think he'll be okay. All right. I'm going to open the email in my office, get it cold in here. It's warm in here and seems to he tapers off and it's warm. He'll be curled up in the corner in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, good thing I have a blanket in here. I can't sleep at night. I can sleep during the show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got a couple things. So the shop availability, we can get you in. Uh, this week's pretty full, maybe something small on Friday. Next week's fairly open. So we can get people in much quicker than we did before. We have some shop specials that the guys can go online and take advantage of. And that you and I were talking last week about parts availability. Yeah. So I checked with Dan, who normally orders the parts here for the shop. And he said, really hasn't had a problem. If, if it's one thing, like, say, there might be a part that they don't have this week, they have it next week. It's not like an ongoing issue where we can't get Detroit injectors or Cummins Turbo. Uh, it, it's been sporadic. I priced out a three-quarter engine for a customer, DDEC for Detroit. And it was available in, in two days. So that's pretty good. So parts are, are getting much better. We're not having the issues we had before, which is a, a good thing. Yeah, it is. A little surprising now, too, given what's going on with the supply chain. Let's hope it stays this way. 
Yeah. So you and, you and I talked this before. So different things that we can't get, like uh, having trouble getting some big cam parts. And that's a 40-year-old engine. I understand right. that. And that's just right. time has a lot to do with that more than anything. But one thing I, I, I find at the store, which is odd, I have trouble finding distilled water. That is odd. It's been going on for a while. So we have a Keurig coffee machine that I hate, but my girlfriend likes it. And she, at the end of the night, she runs distilled water through it to clean it whatever reason. I don't know. Distilled water. You're supposed to clean this thing? <laughs> distilled water cheap enough. I don't argue with her. But I, half the time I go to the store, they don't have distilled water, which I just think is odd. Well, that is odd because it's so easy to make distilled water. Yeah. Yeah. So huh. that's just an observation. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, other things I have going on. So we're getting ready for the, the Louisville truck show. Um, we've got a new display. So we were actually set the display up in, in uh, one of the bays just to make sure we can hook it up right and what's involved in it. And it's massive. Massive. It's, it's massive. really – you will be able to see us from outside the building just about. <laughs> Over the horizon. <laughs> You'll see us from Indiana. by <laughs> updating – yeah, getting kind of into the 21st century display. It really looks good. It's lit. Jordan did a great job. Jordan did a fantastic job um, coming up with the graphics for it. Nice. And it, it's the boots look really good. So good. I'm looking forward to to the show this year. I think we have a, uh, another good show, which generally all the shows are good in Louisville. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. Starting the CMC there is pretty exciting. It, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Other issues, or not issues, um, Jane... Gates will be at the TA in Greensboro, North Carolina, tomorrow from 1 to 5. So she's starting to visit some of the TAs and helping out the staff uh, to promote the product. A lot of them don't understand what it's for. Also, if there's customers there, uh, they can you know ask her questions. She'll, she'll go over stuff with them. So if anyone's in the area, uh, you can stop in and see Jane. All right. Hey, hey Pete, uh, Sarah has some advice for you. Yes. Um, she says you can usually get distilled water in the baby department when there's none in the water aisle. Oh, I'll check that out. There you go. We're about to look there. Yeah. That's I've good never advice. been to the baby department. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, haven't either. I don't even know where it is. Yeah, it's, in my case, it's two hours down from where the water is anyhow, so uh. convenient. Hey, I will tell you that this was one of the biggest headaches when I, uh, I never even thought about this, but when I was testing the hydrogen injection systems that were supposed to revolutionize trucking, um, one of the problems was they use a lot of distilled water. And I was running and getting gallons and gallons of distilled water every day. What a pain. So I just heard something interesting. I, I was flipping channels on my way home from work, and I was on the um, uh, XM radio, and the price of hydrogen just about doubled. Really? So oh, yeah. Besides the network's not set up. We don't have the facilities for hydrogen. Now we're working against the point, is it even cost-effective? Well, it's it not. It went up $14 to 30 or $32 a unit, whatever they sell it by. So I Basically, saw that. I saw that report with those numbers, and I did some math, and it looks to me like the cost of hydrogen, and, and we would compare the cost of hydrogen per mile against the cost of diesel per mile to see if it is cost-effective. We have owner-operators right now running in the 30 cent per mile range for fuel. When I ran the numbers for the hydrogen, it's like $1.18 a mile. It is almost going to be impossible to top diesel. 
Yeah, it's it, not it, even it's close. Just, it's efficient. It works. They've been using it for it, years. It's just going to be so hard to, to get diesel off the throne as the king of fuel. Here's the other thing people have to think about. As they try to get, they should just let the market figure this out. I keep saying that, but they're forcing it. When they force it, whatever fuel we go to, whether it's pure battery electric and we have to pay for charging, whether it's hydrogen electric and we have to pay for hydrogen, what's going to happen, the law of unintended consequences here, supply and demand kicks in. If diesel is this cheap when it is the number one fuel in the world, as soon as we stop using diesel, it takes pressure off of it. Guess what happens to the price? It goes down. Supply and demand. If we aren't using as much of that diesel, the price of it will go down. What happens to the other fuels? The electric and the hydrogen that we hardly ever use now, but all of a sudden we have to use a lot. The price goes up. We're already starting in a place where diesel is still way cheaper, and that's only going to get worse. The more they force us to use these other fuels, the more that price is going to separate. Diesel's going to get better and better. I don't see how this is going to work at all. No, I agree. I agree. And the new trucks are not polluting. No, they're not. They are clean. I don't know how much cleaner. You know, I know they want to go further with the emissions uh, quite a bit, but we're splitting hairs at this point. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're spending a lot of money and creating a lot of problems for very, very tiny gains in in air quality now. We, we've come a long, long way. Uh, it, it, we've talked about this. This has nothing to do with air quality anyway. This whole push towards electric is more about control and creating some new billionaires than it is anything else. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like they're spending money to make money. Right. And, the, it, it, and it just doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I, I am okay with, with spending small amounts of money as an industry to improve air quality. We've been doing it for a long time, and it's working. I am completely against this idea you're going to force us into a vehicle where the energy cost is triple or worse. The comparison right now to hydrogen, it's four times more expensive than diesel the way I see it. And we have no idea what kind of maintenance problems we're going to end up with. Yeah, and that's a product we know so little about. I mean, we have some ideas with the electronic, what the limits are and where we're going to run into problems. I think hydrogen they even know less about. It, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Like I said, it, it doesn't make any sense. So it has to be about something other than common sense or efficiency. And it seems like it's about control. Not good. All Not right. good at all. That's all I have, Kevin. All right, Leroy, what do you got? Well, now that I'm properly depressed. <laughs> um, I got a question on Trucking Tribe about swapping what sounds like a 2008 to 2010 era DD15 engine into something with newer emissions. Uh, I'm not quite sure if he's just moving just the engine around or whatnot, but my I'll have to look into it a little bit more. But my first note is swaps are generally harder than they sound. Yeah. There's always things you run up against. And just because it's a DD-15 doesn't mean that they're all the same. I know that they have different ECMs, and I know that the injectors and cams are different. Um, so I, th I helped one guy 
try to do a similar project before. It was a little bit closer because it was like a, a 2011. It was the def truck to def truck, but it was it was the EPA 1112 to like an EPA 17. It was closer. Um, I, I don't know. I think his name was Danny. I don't know Danny if that's a it's a good swap to try. It might work out, but it might lead you into a lot of headaches. Uh, I mean, if so, you, if you want to try on the try, I just I don't know. <laughs> so uh, aren't we creating an illegal vehicle here? Well, it sounds like he's just swapping the engine. What my the way I looked at it was just the engine because he was said I think he said he was moving the after treatment and everything over too. Just sounds like something happened to the engine. He just wants to take an older base engine and move it into the newer one. Is the what I got from it? But then try to match new after. He's going to match the older engine to the newer after treatment. Yeah, it would be like putting uh, an eight seventy ISX, like a two thousand seven ISX, into a truck that came with like twenty three fifty emissions, like two thousand nineteen so, emissions. So if Just he does, if the- he actually moves all the emissions over, I guess that would be legal. But that sounds to me yeah. like it's going to even be more complicated than just a straight-up engine swap. And we know those are way more difficult, time-consuming, and expensive than anybody ever predicts. Yeah, it, it, it's always harder than it looks. It just seems like, no, I'm just moving just the, you know, the long block over. That's all I'm moving over. Everything else is staying, just the long block. But it's not the but same. That, it just never seems to be that easy. Right. Right, and now we're talking about upgrading an entire emission system that didn't exist on this truck. Yeah. Yeah, to me, this yeah, sounds like sure. a horrible wow. idea. Yeah. My guess is, run- my guess is whatever truck he's going to end up with out of this, I could go out into the open market and buy that same truck he's going to end up with a whole lot cheaper than what he's going to end up spending. Well, if you're out there, Danny, call in and we'll clear up some of this clear up some of this stuff yeah you can have a truck a lot of shops aren't going to want to work on that's another Too thing late. it's going to confuse a lot of shops and they may just not want to deal with it yeah well the other thing is let's say it did work out and everything ran you go to a shop and you're like oh i need an injector but i need this injector you're playing that game well um, right we because everybody like else is injector thing. yeah everybody's going to use vin number because that's what everybody uses for parts well you can't use vin number on this anymore yeah yeah i need a water pump off of a 2010 but this is a 2012 truck yeah and, it's, and how many of us have been through that experience of we know there's a part on a different model of the same truck we have but we don't have that part or that option and you want to add it and they won't sell it to you. It's like, but that doesn't belong on your truck. We need a VIN number. And you got to go find a VIN number of a truck that had that sometimes before they'll even get you the part. Yeah. What a pain. Oof. Yeah. But all I had. All right. So that, that is going to fall under that category of this is a decision that could put you out of business if you're not careful. If you're not careful, yeah, I would agree with that. And even if you are careful, you could run into things that you just did not see coming. And, yeah, oof. All right, anything else, Leroy? Nope, that's it. All right, I got one thing. How many times have, has anybody seen um, extreme cold temperatures cause a tire to deflate and come off the rim? 
Never. Never. Well, here in Pennsylvania, we get extreme cold temperatures all the time. I know. That's what I was thinking. But my coach is sitting back in the driveway. I drove it in from the last trip. No problems. No low air pressure. Um, We got down to about four degrees here, which is outrageously cold for us. But like you say, that's not all that uncommon in most parts of the country. And I go out and my left front tire is off the rim. It's so flat. Hmm. So that's what I have to... That's what I have to quit early for. This was pretty cool, though. I thought I was going to have to deal with this, and I'm, I really don't want to deal with it right now. And if it is a bad tire, then I'm going to need somebody to come out and bring me a tire anyway. So uh, I was kind of figure, trying to figure out what to do the other day, and Lisa said, you know, we added AAA. We added RV coverage to our AAA. And I said, really? And how does that work? And she said, just like any other thing. They just come out and do it. It doesn't cost anything. We'll we'll send them out then and tell them to bring us a tire. So AAA is actually bringing me a tire and coming out to fix it today, whether it needs a tire or not. Now, if it needs a tire, I'm going to have to buy the tire. I don't have to pay anything for the service. It's a good deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think Lisa might be coming close to some sort of a record. Probably not, but she's had AAA, the same account, since she was like 16. It's definitely good for some people to have. I, I will I will say that it's definitely worth it. We've had a couple issues, just simple stuff, tires, lockouts, here and there over the years, um, that it is worth it. And now when I look at the time I would have put in trying to fix this tire myself or what I would have paid to have somebody come out here, and they're coming out for nothing. That's a hell of a deal. Yeah, for sure. So that's what I'll be doing this afternoon. Um, I guess we're going to get some phone calls. We've got to knock these out. We have a uh, little over an hour to do it. Let's get started in Florida. Tony, good morning. Hey, Tony. Hey, everybody. Hey, bef- uh, before you get started, I have a question for you. That's not fair. Go ahead. Well, sure it is. Um, and since I'm asking you a question first, we're only going to charge you half price to answer your question today. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. So did you ever call in on the Broker Connect show? No, I was afraid. I was dealing with my dad, who, by the way, uh, we did place him in a memory care facility for any of those that are listening. But uh, I, I was almost going to, but I had stuff going on. So, so you, that's a, that is a no. I have not. Really? The reason I was asking is um, I'm working with the TIA on another project. I'm speaking at their conference coming up in April. Um, and the woman that I'm working with, she's on the board of TIA, and she's also a broker, and she was one of the brokers we had on Broker Connect. And the first thing she said when I talked to her was, Boy, I had such a good time on that show, and I still remember Tony calling, and he was such a character. And I thought, well, that's got to be Tony in Florida, but you never called Broker Connect, huh? Well, I know what she's talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for those who don't know, um, uh, I'm the owner of I Hate Brokers Trucking. That's a joke, but <laughs> right. some people may not know why you're asking me that. I was going to call yesterday. It was yesterday, right? And I was going to say, why am I on DAT when I should be on truck stop? They're sending me emails every day, and I was just going to sign up not knowing anything. Without the demo, I was about to call and ask that. Uh, But you might be talking about that time where you had people in from Savannah, the Fort Truckers, and they just all started about uh, minimum 
Now I I do remember that call. She wouldn't have been on that one, though. Huh, that's interesting. Oh, speaking of which, if you are going to sign up for Truck Stop, don't do it yet. We're about to release a code um, where if you want to sign up for Truck Stop, it won't cost you any more. In fact, we'll probably get you a discount or a special, and we get a little piece of it, so it's another way to support us. You're not going to tell me that's a stupid decision if I had signed up yesterday uh, just sight unseen, like I bought this truck sight unseen. It's worked out pretty good. It would only be stupid if I didn't use the code, right? Uh, no, you'd still be all right. You would have saved a little money. We would have got a little money, but no biggie. All right. And so um, now uh, to involve the guys back to maintenance, did you guys tell me you'll tune the pack car at, at Pittsburgh Power or, or not? I forget. Uh, forgive me for that. Yeah, we can tune them here. That's what I thought. But not at the remote tuner, right? Uh, there's a few of the dealers that have the right equipment to do so. All right. Wow. Okay. Now, I am just illiterate when it comes to gears. I know, Kevin, you tried to instruct me on the on the steering and the, the importance of the rear axle. For some reason, I think that that's vital. Uh, my dad's Corvette, uh, somebody asked me, which, which gear is one-to-one? And I had to look it up. I think it was fourth. It has six gears as a 92. Does that mean that's the direct drive and it's got double overdrive? Because I know the sixth gear is like very low RPM, supposedly for, for fuel economy. Is that how it works in a truck, too, basically? Same thing, yes. Okay. So what, what's the next variable that you have to look at? Because I know you said, like, okay, if you have the same engine, same everything, and you lower that ratio you're going to save fuel, but what else do I have to look out for? Obviously, the Volvo technology is, is best for fuel economy, it seems now, but what are the other variables where you said it's not that simple? No, we didn't say lower. You don't go lower in the gears. Lower would be 4, 411s, 456s, 488s. You go higher. I mean the number. I mean the yeah. number, like a, a taller Okay, gear. so we have to be careful of nomenclature because other people that understand this are going to say, oh, now they're saying go lower. No, we go higher. So always always remember, the lower the number, the higher the gear ratio. So whenever, whenever, whenever we talk about gear ratios, we need to know what you're towing, what speed you're going to run, what territory you are, what weight you're pulling, what transmission you have, and your horsepower and torque. And then we can better tell you what gear works better. But we got in we have to know the speed that you want to cruise. And if you tell me you want to cruise at seventy or seventy five mile an hour, that's a tough one. I think Bruce just said that the Volvo technology is the best for fuel economy. And you guys I didn't I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Kevin, with the new entrance program, I think there's a market for people that are gonna start getting their authority and for us guys that are going to upgrade to a Volvo, wouldn't there be a, a thing there where, like, you could just have them buy on and, and that would be their new truck without having to look real cheap and then, you know, as an easy way to find a truck. You know you've got me, you know you've got Paul, Matt, that might be upgrading, and, and there's their new truck for people that are just starting out. And then that's business for Bruce, and maybe they can tease, a little something about getting involved with Volvo and working on them. 
Well, I'm bringing in a Volvo. 2018, he's at six and a half mile of the gallon, Volvo engine, Volvo everything, and uh, his turbo boost is 15 at 60 miles an hour, and so we're, we have to work on that, and I don't know if Leroy knows this one's coming in yet or not. Uh, no one told me about it, nope. Hey, Tony, to... he... go ahead, Bruce. It's on the schedule, so... I've been meaning to tell you. It went on there two days ago. I should have called you and told you. All right. Tony, to uh, to comment on that, I, I have kicked around the idea over the years, and it's just too much work. It's too labor-intensive. I would love to do it. Um, this idea of even if I didn't have to go look for any, like you said, we have enough tribe members when they give up their truck Sometimes those are some of the most fuel-efficient trucks on the road, already Spectrite, already have all the options. Uh, I've kicked around the idea of starting a little truck dealer and, and buying those and turning them back over to somebody else in the tribe. Uh, it would be a lot of fun. I'd love doing it. It's just, it's just too time-consuming. Yeah, it's probably just worth it. You know, they're listening, and, you know, they know how to contact us through the tribe and whatever, if they want to do that anyway. So it, it, they'd be piece of crap, you know, fuel efficient. That's why we're upgrading. But still, for all the, the, the savings in the equipment, it buys a lot of fuel. Oh, there's no doubt. I, I would love to have some of the trucks that our tribe members, you know, move out of and up to something else, even, you know, million plus mile trucks. There, there's been a lot of really good trucks change hands over the years. Yeah, but for, that's good about Bruce and Pete over there that they're working on Volvos because it seems like, you know, that's where the major focus is. That's what we're going to be upgrading to. I know Paul's talked about it. Joel always talks about it. Me, if if um, they would just, you know, we'd have that shop to go to because I guarantee you if you hired a person with one day of experience, if Bruce and Pete are involved, I prefer that over a Volvo dealer. Oh, oh, there's no right. doubt. So let me it. say this. Don't, don't say that every, everyone's going to it because we got a lot of diehard W9 and 389, 379 guys, even uh, the older A models. So um, as, as I go through all the messages that I get, I'm, I'm surprised that the old iron that people love and uh, continuing to rebuild and run and i understand why you know bruce i i I hope it stays that way too and uh when we look at i i love that we still have the option of running you guys talk about big cams all the time we're still running mechanical engines if you Mm -hmm. want to do that um i still love those pre-emission late 90s whether it's a series 60 or an n14 or um a, a cat I, I love those last you know electronic pre-emission engines and now i also love the really new platforms that are spectrite it, it's nice to have all those options and i hope they don't take any of those away from us that's right you, you know one of the problems with new trucks is they're too quiet you don't hear the engine my 2016 Ram is the same way. You don't hear it unless you're really giving a lot of power. But my 89 T600 Kenworth, my 95 Dodge, all the A models and 359s and 379s that 
we've worked on over the years, and you're giving them power. And when you're driving them, you roll into the throttle, you hear the roar coming out from under the hood. You hear the roar out the stacks. You feel the truck pick up and go. People still like that. And if you want that, you've got to redo older trucks and stay 2002 and older. And that's why a lot of people still keep rebuilding. I keep, every time I think of this, I, I think of Dean and Laverne Cross and some of their friends. Uh, they just keep the old iron going, and they keep it beautiful, and it's perfect. And I could make about Joel, a joke about Joel's Volvo here, my dad had a, a Volkswagen Beetle, and he said it sounded like a coffee grinder. Uh, maybe that's what the Volvo sound like now. I don't know, but, Bruce, I'm sure you could fix that. Um, no, you no, can't. No, you can't. No, you can't because the emission systems quiets it down so much that um, you don't hear the roar, and the new injection systems are quiet, so you cannot make that engine noisy. Now the exhaust itself, it so. you can't mess with. The engines themselves are quieter, and we've improved insulation, and, and it, so they are very, very quiet. That's just, uh, that's progress, right. and some for some people it's not progress. So I, I am all for give us all the options, let us buy whatever truck we want to buy. Yeah, you have to buy what you want to drive and what makes you happy. Well, Pete right. and Leroy... Can you tell the audience what you could do with this 455 Packar? Um, we could make a boat anchor out of it. Hey, that's supposed to be coming. Come on. <laughs> they said they would tune in. Nah, and you... there's some Packar drivers in here. What, what year is it? It's a uh, 15. Um, what are you looking to do with it? Do you just want as much power as possible you want somewhere in between you just want a little bit more power where where are you at fuel economy really and i know to do that you boost the power and just just do whatever you think is best with it really yeah i would probably set it up somewhere around like a 525 so i'll probably add somewhere around uh 50 horsepower so and then maybe 100 150 foot pounds of torque and then do all those other sort of things inside the calibration with uh um, trying to increase the, the fuel economy. Donnie, well, we've been talking about this. We've been talking about this truck of yours for three, four months now. So I'll get it in there. Um, unfortunately, I've, I've had someone finally. This girl I was trying to date in Dallas uh, has finally agreed. So um, my next trip uh, could be over to Pittsburgh Power. I'll get it in there. Uh, one of these times, I promise. Okay. Uh, Bruce, are you in Pittsburgh? No, I'm in Florida. Okay. It's cold and windy. I was going to ask that because, uh, you know, Florida's known for hot weather, but don't you wish on some days that you were in Pittsburgh? Some days, of course. Some days I wish I was in California. Right now, Mark Quinn's in Hawaii. I kind of wish I was there with him. In a lot of places I like to be. Just can't be at the mall, and I'm running out of years. So, well, I was going to ask you about my pickup. If uh, you know the cluster died on it, and you being in the area, um, you might know of a place I could get one. But you, you probably don't. That that be that be only the only other thing I have. I'm going around in a Duramax 03 with uh, with no fuel gauge, no speedometer. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh... 
I just heard of a place down here that will change your oil and drain it out the bomb. The pilot over there, but I don't know. They they gave me tires that aren't that good, and they screech in the in the rain every time, and there's no traction, and they kind of overcharge me. But you know that's where I go. Okay. All right. We have got to move along. Tony, good stuff. We'll talk to you again next time. We're going to go to South Carolina. Nick, what's on your mind? Hey, how you doing, guys? Good. What can we help you with today? I got a dilemma with my Detroit engine. It's a 98 model. Um, it's great fuel mileage. I get like eight and a quarter. Um, all of a sudden... It started using coolant. It doesn't use it when it's running. It only uses it when it's cold. It's not going on the ground, but it's using a lot. When I mean a lot, it's probably dumped four gallons. I'm trying to figure out where the hell this this is going. You would think my dipstick would go up on my oil because it's going into the pan, but it's not. Where, where's all this coolant going? It's why what you need to do is pull the turbo and the exhaust manifold off, plug the turbo feed line, start the engine, and stand to the side. And don't stand right in front of the ports in case something comes flying out. But uh, stand like in front or behind by the uh, passenger door and look and see if you see coolant coming out of any of those ports and evaporating and going out the stack. Okay. Like I say, it doesn't, I can, I, I ran it for three days. I, well, let me, let me back up. I, I drove like six hours, stopped, checked it, and everything was fine. Then I drove another six hours, parked it overnight, got up, and it was down. It was down like a gallon and a half, so I filled it up. And I drove it for like three days, and I used zero coolant. I didn't have to add any coolant. The only time it leaks, I lose it, is when it's cold. That's uh, you the only have time a, it goes anywhere. You probably... Now keep in mind... Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, uh, so do you lose it when it's sitting cold or when you're driving and it's cold? Can you tell? No, it's sitting. But you can't find it anywhere? Nope. I've put cardboard underneath the entire truck so I can see it. You know, if it's leaking on the ground, I put hey. dye in it. I, I went around the whole truck with, with the dye, ran it, and went around the whole truck, nothing on the block or anything. Is it possible that it's going into my fuel tanks? Not, th- Not unless you have some sort of a fuel heater somewhere that has some weird crossover to the fuel. I don't think so. Aren't there some cases where coolant can end up in the transmission through the cooler? Does anybody yeah, know? Would have a, a, well, yeah, if he would have one of the coolers that were... Uh, using antifreeze, not air, then yes, it, it can I, transfer there. Now, have you done any oil analysis to make sure nothing is getting into the oil? I know it's not raising the oil level, but is, if there's small traces getting in there, it can indicate where it might be going. I just pulled it, and I'm waiting for it to get back. That that so. that may be a clue. I, I've seen some big, big coolant leaks that you would think it would raise the level of the oil. It doesn't. We have the other possibility that you're consuming some oil, replacing it with coolant, so we're not going to see the level change. It just seems to me like I do remember one case where we had an issue like this, 
um, and it was making it to the transmission. It's pretty rare. Um, yeah, this one seems odd. I, it, that uh, that oil sample it, may be our best bet right now. Yeah, it, the, it, the amount of gallons of coolant you put in, my gosh, if it was going in a transmission, you think it would be coming out the overflow on the top of the air vent. Um, if it was going in the fuel tanks, it would certainly be in the fuel filter by now. How many miles since the last rebuild? Um, it was a glider. It's built in 16, 750,000 miles. Okay, it's a glider. Right. Yeah. So the engine's not been rebuilt since it was built for a glider. Was it a Detroit Reman engine? Yes, it was. Okay. Hmm. So when you start the truck up in the morning, are you noticing any excessive smoke? Uh, no, I actually did that yesterday. My my mechanic told me, "Are you? Does it feel like the batteries are drained? You know, hydro locking? Maybe all of it's going into the cylinder head and just sitting on top of the pistons? You know?" And no, it, I started it up yesterday and fired right up. And I looked at my stacks. I let it run for a few minutes, and nothing is crystal clear. That's a good sign. Uh, it's not getting into, you know, so that could be, you know, if that was the case, a uh, crack in the head, uh, injector cup leaking. And, and the problem with that is beside it getting into the cylinders, it's obviously going to get into the oil uh, and generally in fair quantities to the point where it could be dangerous. So, uh, you know, it's, it's oh, I'm, you I'm not driving it no more. It's parked until uh, he's going to pull the valve cover and check all the injectors and do a pressure test and all that stuff. So. I just so he's going to pull the injectors, look for a leaky injector tube, and maybe pull the yeah. oil pan and put. Uh, Pete, how many pound of pressure do we put in the coolant system when we're looking for that? And just ten or twelve pounds, something will show up. Um, okay, and then I would still run it with the exhaust manifold off, looking into the ports. I, I think okay. the fact that the, the fact that it doesn't use it when it's running and it's he has to add it in the morning. Could his colon be expanding enough that it's still in the overflow tank? And then when you shut it off and it cools down and the colon's contracting, and that's when you see that you have to add? Yeah, but it keeps adding. So if at some point you think it'd start pushing it out. So my thought on this, before I do anything once you start disassembling the engine, you're, you're committed. So I would do, if the truck was here, uh, one, I'd, I'd want to see the oil analysis first before I dove into anything. Second, I would put on a cold engine, 10, 12 PSI into the radiator, pump it up, and then literally go over every component that had a coolant line to it, a heater core, uh, if you have an APU that runs it, you know, check everything that could possibly cause a cold water leak that for some reason you're just not seeing. Uh, I'd spend some time doing that before I started taking parts off because once you drop the pan, you can't fire the truck up again unless you put oil in it and pan back on it. So I, I tried to eliminate carrying it to the engine. That, that's like the last step. You know, let's get that oil analysis yeah. back and see how much oil is coolant getting in the oil, if any. Let's pressurize the radiator and, and like look for oil leaks that might you're not seeing on court cardboard, but might show up someplace else. Okay. What about is it in the air tanks coming from the air compressor? Good no, point. it's not. I, I've checked that. Okay. 
Well, it's got me stopped because I, I kid you not, since this has started happening, I probably it's it's well over four gallons of coolant that I put in there. And this is all in a matter of two days. And that amount should be fairly easy to find. It's when we're adding you would say. <laughs> a quart every other week. It's like, okay, that's small amounts. That could be tough to find that. It's a drip here, drip there, but that volume should be pretty easy to find. Yeah, because before this happened, I put a hose. I had to replace a hose. So I had to drain the whole system, filled it back up, and heated it up, and it dropped down. I added it back up to the full mark, and that was six months ago, and I haven't added a drop of coolant to that truck in six months. So, so my first, when you first mentioned the, the change in the hose, my first thought was a air pocket, and it's just fine, but not for six months. I mean, it would have, that would happen in the first week or so. But you've been right. No, that's what I was thinking at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely not an air pocket. Okay. So I'm stumped. I wish I can get it up to you, but it probably cost me a lot to get it towed up there. Where is the truck now? It's in Charleston. Okay. South Carolina. Let us know. Call Pete. Call Pete or me and uh, let us know what your mechanic finds along the way. Um, okay. We'll talk with him and tell him what the next step we would do, and, and uh, we'd like to work with him and, on this to find out what it is. And then okay. letting us know, we'll let everybody else know because you've got a strange one. Okay. Please, anybody listening that's got any ideas, come on the show today and, and let us know. That'd be great. All right. About if they can't get on the show, is there another way they can get in touch with you? Yeah, I give you my phone number if that's okay. Sure. Okay, it's 916-599. Wait, wait, I want to write it down. What's the first one? 916-599-8464. Okay. My name is Nick. Nick. All right. We need to move along. We've got uh, we've got calls piling up on us here, and uh, I don't want to run out of time. We're going to get to Kansas. Jerry, welcome. Well, good morning. I can't imagine that if you were burning that much antifreeze, it has such a characteristic odor. How could you not smell it? Now, this You're one's right. kind of confusing. Well, it is. I mean, I can be a mile behind a truck on an interstate and know they're burning antifreeze because it's got such a horribly characteristic odor that it just, I just can't imagine that many gallons if it's going through the engine that, it's, that you're not being able to smell it. But anyway, that's not what it's all about. Can, can you can you smell burning brakes when you're that far back, too? Oh, yeah. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, that's, okay. that's really oh. distinct. Yeah, that's, yeah, you smell them a lot, so... Uh, Matter of fact, I never will forget. I stopped at the TA in West, uh, whatever it is, West Field, right there at the West Edge of Denver. You know, you come down that mountain, and I pulled in the fuel, and yep. there was a truck pulled in behind me, and he pulled up to the fuel pump with these brakes smoking. Now, why of all the places you pull up to, the last place you pull up to would be a fuel pump for crying out loud. But anyway, that's yeah. Oh, when we had CB radios, and I'd be coming down uh, out of the Eisenhower Tunnel towards Silverthorne. And I'd see guys smoking. I'd talk to them on the radio, and and I would uh, go ahead of them and let them know that it was clear going up the other side towards Frisco, yeah. so they didn't have to take the ramp. But yeah, yeah. it's well, scary. It's, 
It is pretty characteristic odor. So anyway, what I thought about is, is I'm fairly mechanically inclined. However, I've never been around a truck. I've never owned a truck with an after-treatment system. So I want to take a couple of minutes and have a after-treatment for dummies or a uh, back-to-the-basics of after-treatment. Now, I understand what EGR does, and I understand what the diesel particulate filter does, but here's where I get a little lost in the weeds. If you Do you have a separate diesel exhaust fluid injection apparatus after the DPF, and then when you do the DPF alternative, do you clean the DPF, and is there also another diesel exhaust fluid injection apparatus that gets cleaned along with that? And then the after-treatment system in the Detroit One Box, I know it does the same thing, but can you do a DPF alternative on a Detroit Diesel One Box? Several questions that are all kind of related. So I, I think Leroy should answer this, and that's a good subject. Emissions for dummies. I mean, I've done shows for RV groups, and it was called Diesels for Dummies, so I like that. Uh, what are you currently driving? I am driving a 2.8 million mile Kenworth G2000 with a signature 600 uh, Cummins in it. Okay. 2.8 million miles on it. No, And I, I did have, for a short period of time on this truck, I did have an EGR system, but then it kind of got lost out there at the east edge of Pittsburgh one time. It just kind of fell off for some reason, but that's enough said on that. But it is a, uh, so I've never had a truck with the, uh, with any of that, but it's, it's getting to the age where it's probably going to have to be replaced eventually, maybe this year even. So I'm just curious yeah. of what, uh, what my options are on, on cleaning and maintenance. Leroy, why don't you do this? Emissions for well, dummies. Well, I think, yeah, so some of your questions in there were about the DPF alternatives. And, yes, when we do a DPF alternative, we are cleaning just the DPF itself. The reason that we're doing that is because while the regen system that is built in cleans out the soot and carbon, the uh, DPF alternative cleans out the ash, which the regen system cannot clean out. So we will pull the truck in, remove the DPF filter, and remove all the built-up ash that is inside, and then we'll reinstall it. But we do not do anything with the DEF injector that is behind the DPF. So, Libra, what I want you to do is the exhaust comes out of the combustion chamber, goes through the variable geometry turbo, when does it go into the EGR valve and the crossover, and when does it just pass straight through, and then what happens? Take us from the time the exhaust leaves the piston, what it's going through. Boy, yeah, so it goes uh, into the exhaust manifold, and from there, uh, certain conditions have to apply in order for EGR to work. Uh, let's say it is not in one of those conditions, so there is no EGR, then the exhaust gas simply travels through the turbine side of the turbo and out the exhaust. If there are conditions that uh, EGR can work, like as if it's up to temp, the EGR temperature is warm enough, a lot of things like that, the RPM is high enough, then EGR will then flow through the EGR valve into the EGR cooler, where the EGR cooler is meant to cool the exhaust down to a point that the engine can consume. You don't want the engine consuming 1,200 degree air. Uh, for example, you'd want it cool down to around 100 to 200 degrees. So then it passes through the EGR cooler, through the EGR measurement uh, little section venturi piece. So that's the that's the section that the ECM will know. 
whether it's flowing enough EGR or not enough. It takes its measurement there. And the EGR continues to pass through the crossover piece and into the intake, and the cycle goes over and over. So if we're going to take then exhaust that has passed through the turbine and out into the exhaust, it goes into the exhaust after-treatment system. Now, these after-treatment systems can look different depending on truck model and year. Um, Semi-trucks are different than pickup trucks, for example, as far as the order of the components. But we'll just stick with semi-trucks. So the first piece that it goes through is the DOC. The DOC is the diesel oxidation catalyst. It is a component that is there to react with excess fuel in the exhaust in order to raise the temperature to a point where the soot can be regenerated or burned off inside of the DPF, the diesel particulate filter. The DPF is just the filter, like any other filter you have on your truck. Uh, fuel, fuel filter or air filter, it absorbs uh, particulates and it holds them there. The DOC, that, which is in front of it, makes the heat so then that soot can be burned off. The, continuing on from there, we go into the decomposition tube, the mixer tube, depending on what system you have. You have some area that the diesel exhaust fluid is going to be injected and properly mixed. You don't want it to go into the rest of the exhaust onto the SCR in a puddled form, you want it to be well vaporized so that you can optimize the surface area of the SCR so you use the entire piece of the SCR, not just parts of it. So death is injected into this area. It flows into the SCR, the selective reduction catalyst. And at that point, it breaks down the NOx into nitrogen, oxygen, and some water and goes out through the back of the SCR catalyst into the atmosphere. Okay. Is the DOC an integral part of the DES and it would be cleaned no. also? Um, I don't know. Pete, do they normally clean the DOCs on the DPF alternatives? Or is no. that that's something especially you have to ask for? No, it's just the, the DPF or we can clean the SCR. Okay. We'll clean those, but not the DOC. Yeah. So okay. it, it is not part of the SCR DEF uh, system that is a separate system compared with the DOC DPF. Is there maintenance to do on the SCR system also, such as some type of a cleaning or? There's really not any sort of maintenance that you can do. The best sort of maintenance you can do is preventative maintenance. That is making sure that you don't get contaminants inside of your DEF tank. Um, things like excess water or coolant or dirt, things like that. That would plug the injector. Um, you can do maintenance as far as removing the DEF injector occasionally, making sure that if there's not buildup on the tip of it, that way you keep that atomization all, all good there. So that's a few things you can do, but there's nothing with the SCR catalyst itself as far as cleaning. Okay. Now, they talk a lot about a seventh injector. Is that seventh injector basically inject a little diesel into the diesel particulate filter to help, or the DOC, to, where's it at? Is it in the DOC or the DP, DPF? Yeah, so the seventh injector is located behind the turbocharger, and like you said, it is used to inject a small amount of fuel that will cause a chemical reaction with the DOC, which makes a lot of heat. Now, there are okay. multiple ways to do this. There are either a seventh injector or a lot of these newer trucks, they don't have seventh injectors anymore because of all the durability issues. They use things called post-injections. Post-injections okay. are just relate injections from within the cylinder. 
So you just have sort of raw fuel that flows out in the, through the turbine from the manifold onto the DOC. Well, it does that all the time. It's running, not just when you do a regen, correct? Um, it depends on what operating mode it's in. It doesn't usually do post-injections very often unless it wants to bring the temperature up for some reason. Um, the two reasons it would want to bring the temperature up is, well, not two. There's a, there's a few reasons. One would be cold start. Two would be um, sort of urban operating. Uh, in order for the SCR system to work, it has to be up to temperature. So you can use the engine to make excess heat uh, in conjunction with the DOC in order for that SCR system to okay. work. The third most obvious is for regen purposes. Okay. And, oh. and by all means, you want to run the max mileage fuel borne catalyst to keep all these items clean. Well, okay, but I figured you'd probably go there. I have, Bruce, I've run a catalyst since 2006, long before you ever knew who Jane Gates was. I I firmly believe in running a catalyst, but it's just not the max mileage because I have been running another catalyst since long before you ever heard of max mileage. Okay. I firmly believe in it. You should uh, call Dr. Jane and tell her what you're using to make sure it is a real catalyst. Oh, it is. It's, okay. All right. It is. I understand that. I talked to their chemist, and I understand the chemistry behind the catalyst. So, yeah, we've had that, not you and I, but we've had that discussion before, and it's definitely a high-quality product. It's definitely, uh, and I, I mean, hell, I believe in it, and you're going to ask me if I have any proof of it and i honestly have absolutely no proof of it because i've used it since tank one with 2.8 million miles i've never been without it and in 2.8 million miles i've never stopped on the side of the road to change a fuel filter i've never put an injector in this truck and two engines in this truck i've never stopped to put an injector in so it doesn't work hell i don't know but i believe in it yeah. so well, you know sounds like it's working when it, it, have you uh, ever pulled the head off was the uh, combustion chamber clean we had to head off of this one to overhaul it, and it was, and I know you won't remember this, but this was the uh, truck that had the highest uh, coolant intrusion records that Kevin had ever seen because it blew a head gasket on the way to California, and I drove it the rest of the way to California and all the way back to Illinois, so that's the only time a head has been off of this truck ever, so it was pretty damn dirty then. <laughs> so there wasn't any way to prove anything then, so. Okay. All right. Well, that's okay. uh, the, the first the, the first engine went 1.45 million miles, and I just dropped in a recon, uh, recon engine from Cummins rather than do anything with the other one, so we never took the head off of that one to look at it. And this one, the only time the head was off was because of the head gasket, so I really have no no indication as to what it was doing inside there, Bruce. I really don't. I, I'd tell you if I knew, but I just don't know. So, so no, was, I, I Leroy's dissertation, was Leroy's dissertation, did it help? Was it helpful? It absolutely did. I just don't understand all the components that I do now, and, and that helps me. But I get the last question I had, though, do you do a diesel alternative, a DPF alternative on a, a Detroit diesel one box also? Yeah, we do those uh, DPF alternatives on a one box as well. You can. They're, they're just terribly expensive, and generally we just do the DPFs. So if your one box is bad and DPFs are fine, Doing the cleaning is really not going to help. What generally happens in a one box, the uh, the precious metals in the SCR deplete, and you simply need to change your one box. Now, that might buy you a little bit of time, 
but it's, it's quite expensive to get a one box clean just because they're so big and it takes so much effort to get them cleaned. Uh, I, okay. I don't know if it buys the expense. If you need a one box, you just replace it and you can clean a DPF. Those uh, fill up with ash and just like any DPF, they need cleaned. Uh, but generally in a one box, we don't make a practice of cleaning them because it's just uh, an awful expense without getting much in return. So you can't take the lid off of a one box, take the DPF filter out, clean it, put it back together again. It's all one unit. Or no, the, the DPS will come out. So that is the only item of the one box that is uh, okay. changeable. So you can clean them and or replace them should they be damaged. But the rest of the components inside there are not. And the big thing is the SCR going bad. And unlike on a Cummins where you would simply replace the SCR, you're going to replace the whole one box set. So Pete, let me ask you this. If you have a Detroit and you have the one box and you're at a half million mile, would it be worth pulling the DPF out and cleaning it? Do you think it would extend the life of the uh, one box? We just recently had a customer run over a million miles with a one box using our catalyst. So, so it's definitely, I mean, DPS will get plugged with ash, so they definitely need clean. I don't know if it would help the life of the one box or not. Running the catalyst will because obviously we're putting less soot, so the SCR isn't working as hard. So I think okay. you'd get more bang for your buck running the, the catalyst in, in keeping the life of the one box and anything else. Okay. Well, I was thinking toward, toward the purchase of a used truck and just having some preventive maintenance done right off the get-go. You just start with doing a diesel force and a DPF cleaning and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just trying to get my ducks in a row in my mind as to what all, what all I could do. I agree with that. All right. Well, you've been very helpful today. That That's what I kind of needed to know. So, Okay. All right. Thank you very much, folks. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Good talking to you. Let's go to Nebraska. Grant, welcome. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about the CMC. So my wife uh, not so graciously said I'm not allowed to be an over-the-road owner operator for at least five to ten years till the kids are a little bigger uh, but i really want to get in on the first year just to be there and meet everybody and learn everything uh, is it is it probably not a good idea to come if i'm not gonna use it for five to ten years so remember that this event at louisville is a day and a half event and then there's a year program after that that you'll choose whether or not you want to go on to the year or not. Uh, and then that will end next year at Louisville. My opinion is knowledge is always powerful. So I'm a little torn. If you really weren't going to do this for five years, um, you're not going to remember much of, of what you learn. There's going to be a lot of really specific stuff that, that's dealing with things that are happening right now. So it, 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 it's kind of tough. I mean, for me, I, I would probably do it just because, you know, the more knowledge I can gain, the better. But I, I, it's a little tough for me to say you should do it when you're not going to use it for five years. Yeah. I, I just I just saw the, the text this morning that registration was open, so I clicked on it, and I was on this ridiculous dispatch, and uh, so I'm a little excited, and I want to, but at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't, you know, I don't here, know here's, makes- here's what I would recommend. So the, the program at Matt's is 100 bucks. Um, 
most of that $100 goes to feeding everybody. I am shocked at how expensive this seminar is this time. Um, the prices are just through the roof. So, I, I mean, you're getting good value out of the $100, and the $100 gives you the overview of the whole program. So, so I would say if you are interested in doing this, you're going to be at Louisville, spend the 100 bucks and go through this first event and then, then decide from there. Gotcha. All right. Um, with the desk conversation, uh, I run a local, almost regional construction equipment delivery. Uh, I'm working on it with Bruce and Pittsburgh Power on a, a annual maintenance plan for our trucks that idle way more than they're supposed to, but wet kits and support trucks for cranes and whatnot, it, it is what it is. How often should I be changing the depth tank filter? Um, you know, I don't have a number off the top of my head. Um, I, I don't know. I would have to look it up. I don't think you would have to change it very often. I'm currently, I just do it once a year when I pull it in and do everything. Uh, it's 130 to 150, depending on where I find the filter. And I, I figure that's cheaper than dealing with depth problems. Um, yeah. yeah, a little bit of a pain because you get depth all over you, but not that much of a pain. Yeah, that's up nasty. Uh, and then, uh, so there's been discussion about extension cords. So my, my background, I learned to drive a truck so I could get equipment from concert concert. Uh Oh, I think we lost that call. Yeah. He just dropped out completely there. Uh, let's hey, go to Kevin? Washington. Oh, go ahead, Bruce. Well, well, Kevin. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with you on your decision. Uh, I think he should come to the CMC and gain the knowledge because maybe he's not going to wait five years to become an owner-operator. I do recall speaking to this guy, and he's uh, very inquisitive, and he this knowledge would be uh, very useful for him, just like it would be for anybody else, even if they're a company driver. I, I agree. It's, what, it, it is great knowledge. What, There's no doubt. I mean, you're going to learn uh, a lot. What we've seen at our shop from people that have gone to CMCs versus those that haven't, it's, it's real, a, a remarkable difference. I and agree. Pete still talks about it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. If I wanted to learn to fly an airplane, I wouldn't. And I said, I'm going to buy a plane in five years. I wouldn't wait five years. I'd be studying right now. Well, that's a good point. You're right. The longer you have to work on this stuff, the better you're going to know it. So, all right, I'll, I'll tell him he should come to the first event and he should sign up for the rest of the CMC. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Washington. Arthur, welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. I wanted to start out by saying to you, Kevin, that I signed up for the coaching classes, uh, so I can't wait to get started on that. Thank you. Uh, and my question is that, uh, well, backstory. Before I knew of the truck information gods, uh, I went ahead and purchased a truck and trailer being gung-ho and thinking, oh, I'll figure it out. And after finding you guys and listening to you guys for a while now, I wanted to make sure that I get good information before I make mistakes and be not profitable. Excellent. But my question is, so I, I bought a 2005 Freightliner Classic ST with a Detroit 60 Series. It's got about 1.5 million miles on it with apparently uh, 300000 on a in-frame and a 2006 utility uh, drive van. Is that uh, a setup that would be good to run across the country? 
Because the question, I, the, the second part of the question is, I had an offer to uh, from a gentleman to purchase the setup from me for a little over double what I paid for it. Sell it. So I'm wondering if I should sell it. Sell it. If you have an offer that seriously that you're going to make money when you sell this thing, absolutely sell it. Let me tell you why. I, we could go over specs, transmission gear ratios. Um, I, I don't need to. There's two problems here. Uh, that's a 14 liter emission. Not wild about that engine at all. But that's not my well, biggest it's problem. It's actually a 12 seven. A 12.7 emission must be in an yeah. 05. Okay. Still, well, I don't like that one yeah, either. 05. Actually, if I had to pick, I'd probably rather have the 14 liter if I had to have an emission. But I, I, I really don't want either one of them. But here's the bigger problem. What if I told you that because of that truck? One thing about that truck is going to cost you an extra eight to $10,000 a year in fuel a year. Every year you own that truck, you're going to spend an additional eight to $10,000 for one thing about that truck. Would that bother you? I'd be curious to know what that one thing was. It's that classic body style. All we would have to do if we could, if I could wave a magic wand and take that classic body style off that truck and put an aerodynamic body style on it, you'd pick up a mile per gallon. Well, it, well I mean, it's not that unaerodynamic except for that squarish, slightly squarish nose. But no, no, no. Um, the, Arthur, the I can't tell, Arthur, I can't tell you how wrong you are about that statement. I can start at the front of the truck, the bumper, the headlight stems, the grill, the windshield angle, the non-aerodynamic mirrors, the non-aerodynamic steps. I can go on and on and on. Uh -huh. Everything about that truck is non-aerodynamic. Okay. And it is one full... And I trust you guys. It's one full just, mile I, per gallon difference between that body style and, say, a Cascadia. That, that if we could drop a Cascadia body on there, you pick up a mile per gallon. Because uh -huh. the gentleman I bought it from said he was running in the high sixes, low sevens. Here That's awful. In the, in the mountains. That's awful in today's okay. world. We, we're talking about high okay. eights, low nines, and we have people pushing limits up to 10 and 11 now. Uh -huh. Well, I pick, the reason why I ask is, I mean, I only picked up the truck and trailer for uh, about uh, 15 grand total. Great deal. Uh, so I kind of figured keep. I kind of figured if I had to start yeah. with this to keep my expenses low, especially during this market, that it but, would be probably better to keep it for now than to try to Arthur, step up to something. Let, let's yeah. talk about this. Is it, and I'm, I'm glad you bought it only because you have the opportunity to sell it for almost double. You said uh, that would be my next phone call. But here's the thing, even at 15000 had you called me, I would have said, no, don't buy it. Because in the first year, that truck is 25000 because that $10,000 fuel hit. In the third, second year, it's like buying a $35,000 truck. Do, do you see where I'm going? I, I, it it uh, was I a cheap price, but it's not an efficient truck to operate every day. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so it, it, uh, the, the it, good news is you're going to make money on this deal, which is awesome. And then you can go buy a more efficient truck. And now, if he wants both truck and trailer, then just sell them both and go buy two new ones. If, if you really like the trailer and he'll just buy the truck, you could do that. But I, I would highly encourage you to take that deal and sell this thing. Okay. And then uh, I guess the second part to that would be if for some reason the deal falls through, 
uh, and I did have to keep it uh, if there was another interest for me to double my money. What would you recommend uh, with that setup? Recommend for what? I mean, we, there, we'd have to in, talk about a lot of, of different things. First off, for all the emissions intact. Yeah. Okay. Um, has anybody pulled an oil sample ever? Not yet. I, I have not. I've only had this truck for a so, little bit under, or a little over a year. So Arthur, here's here's running it yet. Here's the thing we should do right now. You should decide whether you're going to keep this truck or whether you're going to sell it. Uh, well, it's not really up to me. To, it's, if I, I can't make the gentleman buy it. If he buys it, then if I if, under your well, advice, I would sell it and buy something newer if I can double my money. Then but here's, if he then, doesn't buy it and I can't find someone else, then I would be keeping it. Then here's what I would do just to keep things clear in your mind and make this easier. Pursue the option of selling it until it either gets sold or you find out you're not going to sell it. Then we'll decide, if anything, what we should do going forward. But why waste any time or brain cells on that issue now when the idea is you're going to try to sell it? Mm -hmm. So and then for so he wants to purchase the, the whole setup truck and trailer for or double what I paid for. Is, sell that, it. is that a good price to sell it for? Yeah, the trailer, too. Wouldn't be worth keeping. I can't think of a better price. If I just paid 15000 for something and somebody's offering me 30 or close to it, I, I just don't know how it gets much better than that. Well, the only reason why I'm questioning that is uh, to acquire something else. Would I not be paying more? Is that the why? financial way to go? What, why, why would you have to pay more? Why, why can't we just, you bought a truck that's got over a million and a half miles on it, which is, that's not a problem to me. I'm okay with that. You just bought the well, wrong I'm truck. To the trailer. What, what's that? I'm referring to the trailer. I'm referring to the trailer. So, well, so what? We can, trailers trailer are cheap. Keep the trailer in the price. Trailers are cheap. We can find trailers everywhere. Look, even if you have to go spend $30,000 to replace this, you are still way better off on day one. On day one, you immediately start putting more money in your pocket through the operation. We're not trying to make money by buying and selling trucks. We're trying to make money by operating trucks. And if you had to pay $40,000 for the new one, within the first 12 months, you've already broken even. And then we start making money. The, the, the real key here is the operation of the vehicle, not the buying and selling of it. Right. Uh, that I understand. I just wasn't sure if, if, if I would be able to, if this financially makes sense to sell the trailer, if I only paid five grand for the trailer. I'm telling you, if you can sell that setup for twice what you paid for it, sell it. Okay. All right. Well, I guess that answers that question. All right. Take care. And question. call us before you buy the next truck. Is that? Did you say that was a 2006? Uh, he's gone. I think it was a five. Okay. five so it'd be the EDX five. It was a five or 2005 or 2006, which most of them were. 14 liters, but they did have D-Deck 5 with the EGR on it um, in 12.7. We didn't see many of them, but they were out there. That's another right. problem and for me, too. the chance of that EGR valve still be working and still being on there is, is probably slim to none because they had so many problems back then. Right. So if he doesn't sell it, there are 
a lot of good things we can do with that engine. There are, but given the fact that it's that early emission, some of the worst engines we've dealt with, right. and and it's non-aerodynamic, right. and he's got an offer, somebody's going to give him twice what he paid. Well, I hope he's already on the phone with that guy trying to get rid of this thing. Yeah. Because we could do so much better. And get a 2014 or newer. There you go. Uh, or go back to the O2 instead. I mean, if he if he wants to stay cheap, go back to an O1, O2 prior to emissions and, and buy the same similar kind of truck, aerodynamic, 12.7, non-emission. I'd be all for that one. All right, let's go okay. to New Hampshire. Casey, welcome to the program. Casey, oop, let me try that again. I guess I hit the right button. Casey, go ahead. Well, now he's there, but I still can't hear him. Casey? All right, I'll put you back in the queue. We'll try another call. Let's go to Oklahoma. Steven, are you there? Yeah. All right, go ahead. Hey, guys, I'm just just wondering. I've got an 18 Cascadia, and it's got 990,000 miles on it with the original turbo still on it. Is that something that at this point should – should I just replace that as a preventative maintenance or – do you see just let keep it keep running out? Are you running the catalyst, the max mileage catalyst? Yeah, I started running that at nine hundred thousand miles. Okay, well, that'll keep the turbo clean inside, and uh, if your oils have been clean and your oil analysis are coming back good, and uh, your light on the throttle accelerating and decelerating, I would not change it. Okay. So there is something in the oil sample that could give me uh, an idea about the turbo? Well, well, I would just like to see the wear metals. Just the wear metals? Okay. But, uh, another thing you can do is take the elbow off that brings the air from the air cleaner to it and uh, pull on the compressor wheel, pull it towards the radiator and push it back towards the firewall and see if it still has its ten or 12 thousandths clearance. If it's going clunk, clunk. And then the thrust washer is wore out, but uh, there should be about 10,000 in play in that. Don't push it side to side because that's not how you check a turbo. Go front to back. If you want to check it side to side, you drop the exhaust pipe and you put your hand in on the turbine wheel and the fresh air side, the compressor wheel, and you pull it, but you don't pull it with all your strength because you can actually bend that shaft. You pull it and turn it and push it away from you and turn it. But you don't you don't push one away and pull one. You don't you don't rock it that way because the bushings inside, which they call bearings, are free floating, and the oil it has oil on the outside of it and oil on the inside. The oil floats. The oil pressure floats that bushing bearing, and it also floats the shaft inside of. So there's clearance in there for oil, and whenever the truck is shut off and you're checking it, like I just told you, there's no oil pressure to center it. Oh, okay. okay. So never let a mechanic reach in and grab it and start going front to, or uh, side to side and top to bottom and so see you got too much clearance. That is not how you check a turbo. Okay, and the fuel catalyst, I will say, while well, it's a quick uh, testimonial about it, is I've got the Webesto heater, and i got to say, mm-hmm. for five years, that Webesto would give us trouble. Every winter we needed to use it. Use the uh, catalyst that Webesto hasn't given us any trouble this year, 
And we've got a 7,500-watt Onan generator on our truck that in the wintertime would start smoking quite a bit. And this winter, it doesn't smoke much at all. So without a doubt, I've seen that catalyst work on those two items for sure. Well, I had a phone call today from a driver on the truck, and he has either the SPAR or the Wabasco, and it doesn't work. And the owner of the truck tells him, fix it, but he won't let him buy the catalyst because of the price. Well, what good does it do to fix it if it's only going to carbon up again? Yeah, because it's worked. It's cleaned it because that's why we kept having firing issues. It wouldn't fire, wouldn't fire. Uh, right. But, but it, it's worked great this winter, so uh, I'm definitely a fan of it. Thank you. All right, appreciate it, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's... Uh... Let's go to our final call of the day. We're going to go to South Dakota. Austin, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. What's on your mind today? Um, question about the Pittsburgh Power Tune. I signed up to come in in March to come in to Pittsburgh Power and kind of get my uh, get some things looked at to make sure there's no ghost codes or, like, boost leaks going on to make sure that I'm not losing fuel mileage that way. But I kind of am curious about this Pittsburgh Power Tune. I mean, it seems, you know, it's pretty pricey, so I just want to see what it, what it really is for or what I'm going to benefit out of it if I get it. Well, let me, let me say something about the price. Electrical engineers don't work for minimum wage. And when you, if you would spend a week in our engineering department, and Kevin has seen this, and you see Leroy and J.R., studying and studying and studying and then you go into the dyno room that has about a million and a half dollars worth of equipment in it or more and then it has to be constantly updated and that's where everything is performed then you find out that that tune is actually really cheap okay I, well, yeah i just wasn't too sure what what, what all went into that okay so so the tune is it's the orange economical compared to what we spend to come up with those tunes. And I'm going to let Leroy tell you, you didn't tell us what engine. Uh, it's a Volvo D13. Okay. So we'll let Leroy talk to you about that. Okay. Yeah, so that's one of the newer ones that we're doing. Uh, I just did a D, um, well, a Mac MPH, which is almost the same thing as the D13 uh, a week or so ago. We've done about a dozen or so of them. Both of them have went well. A few of the ones that I would say that didn't go the most smooth, nothing blew up or anything like that. It just didn't uh, go as well as I wanted. But those were the early on ones. But the last several that I've done, I haven't had any issues. Um, the biggest thing is power. Uh, a lot of guys are sort of stuck at either like a 450 or 485. And just even a small bump to, to 550 makes all the, the difference on those. Um, as far as fuel economy goes, we're a little bit uh, mixed on the feedback. Some of the feedback I get is good. Some of the feedback is just I haven't gained anything, but I like the power. As far as what we change on the inside, I mean, we're trying to do our best to optimize combustion and sort of the cruising range. So that has to do with fuel pressure changes, timing changes, airflow changes, EGR changes. Um, and as far as full load, obviously, we're looking for a torque request that is uh, somewhere around 550 or 600, depending on what you're going for. And we have to make sure that the combustion is safe at those full load ranges. Uh, it's easy enough just to put more fuel to things, but 
to put more fuel to it and keep it safe is a whole nother animal. That's the, that's the tough part. Uh, I would say most tuners or any tuner can really make a lot of horsepower on stuff, but keeping them together is, is a whole nother thing. Okay. I was just curious to know, so it just gives me a little bit more power. So would I be able to pull heavier loads? Is that something that would help or is it just going to give me more power up hills and stuff? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of everything. More powers up hills, uh, better response, acceleration. Um, you can hold the taller gears longer, so then you can stay in direct drive longer or some of those uh, taller gears. Most of the time, that benefits you as far as fuel mileage goes. Okay. That's what I was kind of curious to know. Um, and then I guess... like, Let me add something to that. The beauty of it is when the truck responds and you see the hill coming up, and you just roll into the throttle and you feel the truck pick up and go. I mean, that's that's where it's nice to have the tune instead of pushing on a throttle and hardly anything happens. So. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Um, and then I guess and, those codes, like, and, Oh, and the other thing is when the truck runs like a thoroughbred and you drive it properly, then you get the fuel mileage increase. So oh, okay. it's it's always been, for my 48 years, whenever I give a guy an extra 100 horsepower or more, the first week we don't see it because you're having fun and enjoying it, and then the second week you, you settle down and behave yourself, and then you start watching the boost gauge closer and making the fuel mileage on the level. You use the power to get up over the hill, but on the level you have to... Um, watch the gauge and get that boost done under that 5 PSI to get ultimate fuel mileage. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and then I guess well, they said something about ghost codes. I mean, is there such thing as a ghost code that would hurt my fuel mileage? Uh, the, the term ghost code is, I, I think it's pretty annoying. It's mostly a misnomer. So really, I guess it depends on what people are calling ghost codes. There are codes that will throw check engine lights. There are codes that will go in your ECM and are only visible to someone with a, a laptop when they open it. So they don't illuminate the check engine light, but they are in there when you open it up. Those codes are things like maintenance lights on a Cummins or high pyro temps, things like that. Like they don't throw the check engine light on the dash, but they're still in there. They're not a ghost, they're not on the dash. And then, or I think the term ghost code comes from, was when people are used to just block fault codes because they couldn't fix these things. So then you would have a truck that goes into a D-rate and there's no fault code associated with it because they blocked it. That's where I think that term comes from. But to answer your original question, is there any ghost codes that are affecting your performance? I doubt it, uh, especially on the, the new D13 from what I've seen. They kind of throw a check engine light for basically everything. So if you had an issue, you would know about it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I get this code that popped up yesterday and it said my truck was going to derate and then it never did. So that was kind of a weird code I got. It said that some, uh, the depth dozer line was clogged and then I kind of just kept, I kind of just restarted the truck and it just went away. So I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. So there's, there's, a, there's a timer associated with a lot of these emissions codes where they, the ECM recognizes that something happened, but it doesn't want to pull power right away because it, it's kind of unsure whether to believe its own, itself or not. Because if it just has one occurrence, it could just be an issue with some external source. So 
it wants to verify that the issue is going to continue to happen for a certain amount of time. So once that happens, it moves from a sort of stage zero to a stage one where it starts the timer. And then that's where you get people say that their dash goes from two hours to one hour to this. But you can also restart the timer. So like if you cycle the key or it sees that the check engine light goes out, the issue went away, it'll, it'll look at it for a while and say, all right, you've been good for X amount of time. I'm going to clear the timer out. So that can be some of the X behind what you're experiencing. Okay. Yeah, that's what I saw yesterday. I wasn't too worried about it. Um, okay. Well, yeah, that answers that question. I'm coming in March, I think March 18th or 19th, somewhere around there and going to get everything looked at, make sure it's not something major that I'm just missing. Or I think mo most of my problem is, so I don't know, I don't know if I drive the truck correctly. I mean, I might have a lead foot or might, things incorrectly that get me to kill fuel mileage. I guess I've never really learned. I guess I just have to teach myself how to drive a little bit better. Why don't you call me after the show or call me sometime and let's talk about it while you're driving. Okay, that works. Thank you. That's all I had. Okay. All right. Uh, that is going to wrap it up for our calls. Uh, we went a couple minutes over. We should be fine. Anybody have anything they want to close with? Uh, there was a lot of calls and made us do a lot of thinking today. Yes, I agree. Good stuff. Anybody else? Nope. Nope, I'm good. All right. We uh, we will see. Oh, hey, yes, Kevin, you need to let us know what our part's going to be in the CMC as soon as you can so we can prepare. I'm working on it. I will get it to you, you as soon as I can. As soon as I'm done with this tire issue today. I got to go back to working on CMC stuff. So we will do that. All right. We'll see you again next week. If you have any questions, give them a call at Pittsburgh Power. Thanks to the team there for all the help today. And we'll see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. <laughs>